Hey, this is Chuck Dixon, and you're listening to Signal of Doom. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Hello and welcome to Signal of Doom. Um, it's a great episode. We're here. We've got the mighty Mike Barron on the line. Mike, how are you? Very good. It is fantastic to have you back. It's been too long since we've had you on the show, Mike. And also, you've been in Facebook jail, it seems like, for weeks now. What's going on? <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what happened. I posted a news article that said Norway had lifted all COVID restrictions and within five minutes, I had been banned for a month. Really? Uh, isn't that bizarre? Like, such an inconsequential... I mean, that was news. Yeah. It was news. I wasn't, you know, I'm not trying to incite trouble or anything. I wasn't no. calling anyone, anybody, any names. I wasn't inciting violence. I posted a news article. Oh, you're, yeah. not to, you're not allowed to report the news these days. <laughs> I know. I said, to, we had Chuck Dixon on the show a couple of weeks ago, Mike, and I said, was it your puns that got you in trouble? Because you do love a good pun on Facebook, you know? <laughs> was Chuck in trouble? <laughs> no, no, he was okay. <laughs> now, um, first question I want to ask, Mike, we ask of all our guests, how's your post-apocalypse going over there? Uh, you know, how, how are you traveling? Uh, I'm in Colorado, uh, yeah. and they just reinstituted the uh, mask mandate for everybody going indoors, but it depends on the business Right. Uh, restaurants are kind of lax, but the closer you get to downtown and the university, the more terrified people become and uh, and the more hysterical about the use of masks. Sure. Must be a nice place to live, Colorado, Mike. Um, nice place? It, it's a lovely place. I enjoy it very much. I miss Wisconsin, but I'm having a great time here. Yeah. I especially love the bike trails because mm. I ride my bicycle a lot. That's good, man. Yeah, like, I mean, it looks... I mean, all the way over here from Australia, I've always thought Colorado would be a nice place to visit. It's a big ski town as well, isn't it? Isn't there bits of it that are big ski towns? Skates? Ski, like um, snow skiing. Isn't there some snow skiing? Oh, skiing. skiing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, homie don't ski. I have a lot of friends who ski. My my sister and brother-in-law are are, uh, devoted skiers. They have a house in Steamboat Springs. They're up there right now waiting for the snow. Yeah, fair enough, man. Um, Now... Uh, the other question we like to ask, before we get into the meat of the show, um, it's uh, it's a pretty primal question. Betty or Veronica? Which one for uh, you, Mike? Uh, you know, if you had to choose one, which one would you have gone with? Veronica. Uh, you know, Veronica is getting more and more votes the more we do this. It started out as Team Betty, but I've noticed a lot of people are now picking Veronica. And I'm, I'm starting to think it might be something to do with the cash, you know? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Nah. <laughs> now, Mike, um, the first thing I want to I want to really bring you on the show to discuss is this Thin Blue Line comic uh, you're putting out. Uh, you've got it on Indiegogo. Um, I backed it myself. I'm telling Signal of Doom listeners to support it. This looks fantastic. Can you give us the 10 cent tour on this one, Mike? It's about two police officers trying to survive the night of a riot-torn city. Uh, and anybody who watched uh, television... Uh, Two years ago, in the summer of, of uh, 2020, uh, it, it couldn't be avoided. Night after night, you saw scenes of cities in flames, of looters running in and out of buildings, uh, of small businesses being torn down. In front, you had some newscaster saying, this is a mostly peaceful protest. <laughs> the mostly peaceful protest cost $2 billion, resulted in dozens of deaths and destroyed thousands of small businesses owned by moms and pops in areas where they could least afford to lose them. And no one was charged. Mm. They made a few arrests, but now with the new lax anything goes laws, everybody was let out without bail. Yeah. And um, exactly, Mike. And I mean, I I just saw the images you've got up there. And I mean, you've already said there did seem, I don't know how long ago it was, six, ten months ago, a year, time slides by fast, but there was a fair amount of anarchy in the air. Like people, as you say, were burning down police stations, seizing city blocks. I mean, I saw chaos on the news, and obviously that's how you were feeling as well. And so you, you've channeled this into, it's a graphic novel, yeah? Yes, it is. And uh, our artist is a full-time police officer. But I have to stress that mm. it's uh, a, a gripping story. Yeah. Uh, and it's highly entertaining. It's not didactic or preachy at all. 
uh, you're going to get sucked in on the first page and you won't be able to put it down till the last. It's just really good drama. I can't wait for it, man. Like I, I'm, I, and I do say to Signal of Doom listeners, check this one out. Mike's uh, pedigree speaks for itself. I mean, the guy's done comics for since back in the eighties, and so many hits: Badger, uh, Punisher, all sorts of things along the way. Nexus, and Mike, you are at home with sort of a crime story, aren't you? You love a crime story. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, when I wrote the Punisher, I approached it as as. Uh, uh, just a pure crime story. Uh, there and for three years there were no uh, aliens, robots, or supervillains. Uh, but then I got a new editor, and he was a gimmick guy. So we started pulling those in. But I'm very proud of my run on the Punisher, and oh, yeah. a lot of people seem to like it because it was grounded in reality. And just as I'm doing now, I, I would uh, take stories from the news back then. Mm, yeah, I mean. I remember uh, when when this was all happening a couple of years ago. Do you remember the, what I called the fake city of Chaz? Do you remember those guys who who? Oh yeah. They oh, they, yeah. they they uh, they occupied a city block, and Richard made a great comment. They were like that. They actually, Rich, what was it? They had their own policemen, but they didn't call them policemen. <laughs> <laughs> that was in yeah. Uh, Portland. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, it and was now, like we're Portland against the is cops. A ghost town. Yeah, and. It was an absolute pig pen what those people created, and um, and I would have if I'd been in charge, I would have just rolled in with the tanks, you know, and 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 cleared them out in about you know two hours. Um, now, so look, it's on Indiegogo now. I believe it's just been backed. Uh, am I correct in saying, Mike? I think I got a, a notification this morning that it's been one hundred percent backed. Am I right? Well, yeah, at the first level, and all, but all that does is just pay for the books to be printed and sent out. And you've got like stretch goals and all that kind of stuff. Is oh that- yeah. We Excellent. get a lot of stretch goals. Excellent. And so what was the name of your artist? Joseph Arnold. And I've known Joe for many years, since long before he joined the police force. Mm. Uh, he's got a video up, which I'll send you later, Dave, where he explains why he did it. Cool. Uh, and and Joe's always been an aspiring artist. Uh, and when I approached him about this project, he was all in. His art keeps getting better and better. And, and our anchoring is uh, Jeff Slemons, who is himself an amazing artist. All you have to do is go to jeffslemons.com and take a look, and, and uh, it'll blow your mind. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And do we have, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not 100% familiar with how these things work. Do you, do you have a date in mind that you're looking to put it out, um, is it like a release date? Uh, I think we're shooting before the end of the year, oh, which great. is so it's soon. pretty fast in uh, indie comics terms, but I'm not sure. I'll have to ask Chris. Sure. Chris sure. Brawley is the guy that runs this campaign. Chris ran our Florida Man campaign. And he knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. And Florida, and exactly. Now, I wanted to also mention um, something that I really enjoy, which is your Josh Pratt biker novels. I think they're a hell of a lot of fun, and I think some fans of your Punisher work are sleeping on these, and I think they really think they're excellent. Can you give listeners the pitch for these books? Because I know they're all available on Amazon right now. Yes. Uh, I was inspired by John D. McDonald and his Travis McGee series, which has been the inspiration for dozens, if not hundreds, of thriller writers today. Mm. Uh, and Josh is kind of my homage to uh, Travis McGee. Josh is uh, a reformed motorcycle hoodlum who went to prison and found God in prison and comes out and tries to turn his life around. Uh, and there are eight books now in the series, and he gets involved in most horrendous cases. They're extremely gritty. Mm. Uh, they're crime novels. It's hard-boiled crime. I like to think of them as modern noir. Mm. Some of them involve biker gangs, but many of them do not. Yeah, I, I was on holiday uh, in Hawaii a while back, and I remember reading your second biker novel, The Whole Vacation, and you wove in an analog for uh, the Weatherman underground organization of the 70s. What a crazy organization that was. And you kind of had that in that book, didn't you? Yeah, that was uh, based on uh, personal experience. Because really? when I was going to the University of Wisconsin in the 70s, I got involved with an underground newspaper named Takeover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I knew the, uh, the editor of Takeover. And there's a character in that novel that's based on him. Uh, and there's also a novel within a novel. It's called, uh, the book is Sons of Privilege. That's it. And the novel within the novel is a black exploitation novel uh, about a character named Shred Hustle, who's mm. based on every Fred Williamson and, uh, and, and Superfly type movies. We used to yeah. love those movies. It's kind of a homage to them, but it also 
contains clues as to who committed the murder. Yeah, it's a great read. Now, I really like those Josh Pratt novels. Um, and I also want to mention, I know a while back you were doing a, a comic book. I want to say it was called Cue Ball. Um, am I right in saying that? Um, uh, yeah, I enjoyed that one. Um, well, Cue Ball is in the works, and uh, uh, it's, it's it's no longer going to be single issues because Barry just went crazy. Yeah. I wrote five issues, and I think he's already finished the fourth issue. Uh, and I believe he's got an arrangement with Blue Juice to bring it out next year. Uh, and, of course, Blue Juice just brought out his uh, Billy the Kit comic, Excellent. which is uh, a very serious, funny animal comic about a uh, uh, a gunfighter rabbit in the Old West. <laughs> I love it already, Mike. It's, it's great. I'm, I'm a sucker for those ones where they have the animal, like the turtles and stuff, you know, like the, where the, the animals are talking, that kind of thing. I love that kind of stuff. Oh, you know that uh, uh, Buddy McGill ships later this month. Uh, and Buddy's my creation. He's the James Bond of dogs. And when, when we first meet him, he's a TSA agent at the airport, but he goes on from there to much greater things, including saving the president's life. And that's just the first issue. Wow. And uh, it just gets better after that. So you are really a busy guy at the moment, Mike. You are, you are firing on all, all cylinders, it seems. Well, I, it seems to me all I do is sit around here with... Uh, with uh, <laughs> I won't say it, but but somehow the writing gets done. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, you've always been such a creative guy, and I'm just great to see this kind of renaissance of Mike Barron as you're doing all these things. And so I will put up all the links to all this stuff in the show notes, and um, and I do want to stress again, back the Thin Blue Line and back Mike's other projects. But, Mike, I, I, I have you on the show, and obviously we're going to play some greatest hits, but um, you had one of the absolute landmark runs on Punisher, which I'm glad to see has pretty much been almost fully collected now in the epic collections they've put out. They've certainly covered a big chunk of it. Uh, not yes. all of it, but a big chunk. And, and we just did one uh, recently, Jigsaw Puzzle. Now, I want to say you created one of the most iconic characters in Punisher canon, and that's Microchip. Um, when you got the title, like back, back in the day, was that one of your first ideas, that Frank needs a wingman? Yeah. I didn't see how he could succeed and survive... Yeah. Without technical support. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, you did such a good job for me. When I came to comics age 12 or 13, um, Your Punisher was one of the first books I, I bought. I just assumed Microchip had been around for years, and I think you created him in that issue. And I was like, oh, Microchip's always been around. I just assumed. Like, it was... <laughs> I had no idea. Um, now, the killing of Junior was brutal, Mike, especially how Frank just dumps him on the floor and walks off. Did you feel that was a big scene when you came out, and what was fans' reaction at the time? Did you feel the series and readers needed that brutal reality check when you killed Junior? Well, it's not like the series needed it. It's where the story wanted to go. Mm. Uh, a story has to make sense, and, and treating it as I did as a very realistic crime story, mm. uh, there it, it just the casualty seemed inevitable. Yeah. It seemed inevitable to me, and so I put it in there. Yeah, no, I think it. I think it really, um, it really made a lot of sense, um, you know, and and it really impacted me. And when I came back and read it years later, I was still like, this is full on. Like Frank just dumps the body and just walks out, and he's just like, deal with the microchip. It's a war, basically. You know? He was devastated. He didn't know what to do. You, you, you're saying Frank himself was devastated. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Sometimes when people are like that who aren't, you know, great at human emotions, I wouldn't say that's one of Frank's strengths, it's almost too hard to deal with. You know what I mean? Like they just sort of walk away from the problem is, is how I read it. Yeah. Well, I imagined Frank as a guilt-ridden Catholic. Right. Uh, not only uh, because of his dark view of human nature, but also because he came from a Sicilian background uh, his real name was Castiglione. Yes. And uh, they changed it when they moved to America to Castle. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and, and it came up later. Now, we recently did Punisher Jigsaw Puzzle, which is a fantastic arc. I noticed um, when I was reading it that, and I didn't realise this, that Punisher had gone fortnightly by that point. Was that challenging for you to be doing a fortnightly Punisher comic, you know, rather than monthly? You mean every two weeks? Yes, yes. Not really. I mean, you know, I I did I did what they told me to do. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you're a professional. You can pump out. I, I imagine for the artists, it would have been harder, though. You know, like to every two weeks. Oh, that's right. Geez, you know, I'd have to go back and look at those issues because I, I 
I can't imagine one artist did ever did an issue every two weeks. They were using all sorts of artists on the book. Well, one of the guys they used was one of my favourites. Um, it's Tex. I believe his real name's Frank Texacara, if I'm right in saying. Um, Tex, yeah. How was it working with Tex? Because I love his visuals and his style on Frank Castle. Oh, it was great. You know, uh, he had a very distinctive style. Mm. Uh, Tex was very good at action and mm. very heavy black outlines on the figures. Uh but there were so many good artists on that book that yeah. you had a wide palette to choose from. It's a great gift for a writer, isn't it, when you're writing stuff and you know you're going to have, like, a Tex, you're going to have a Claus Jansen, you're going to have a Bill Reinhold. Um, and I do want to mention Bill Reinhold because he was on this arc and such a great draftsman. I know you worked a lot with him on Badger. Um, how far do you guys go back? Because I get such a sense of pleasure from reading his art. Um, you know, were you, was he with you sort of at the start? Yeah, I think he came into Badger uh, in uh, 82 or 83, and he's probably the artist most associated with Badger. And mm. I chat with Bill on Facebook frequently, yeah. uh, and we've talked about working again, although he's uh, all tied up in this World War II graphic novel that he's been working on for years that Carl Potts has written. Right, okay. And, and we hope it'll come out soon. <laughs> yeah, God, I hope so. I mean, when I... You know, we've all got a sort of favourite style. That style to me is kind of what I think of when I think of sort of the style I love in comic books. It's very solid. You know, it's just, it's it's beautiful how it's all put together. It's, oh, yeah. It's, yeah, he's, he's great. He's great. Uh, now, Rich has got a question about Jigsaw Puzzle. Oh, we've got you there, Rich? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> Mike, something um, I enjoyed reading with uh, Jigsaw Puzzle is um, it just reminded me how versatile uh, the Punisher sort of in the Marvel Universe can be. Because when I was reading this, I, I really got like a, it felt very much like a, a James Bond sort of like adventure in a way. You know, you've got the flying cars, exotic locations, beautiful women, you know, a, a world threatening event sort of thing and all that. Um, do you think um, you, that's part of the fun of The Punisher when writing it is that you can sort of take him in, in, in different directions, especially in the Marvel Universe? I have to take a look at those issues, Rich. It's been so long. It was never my intention to, to do James Bond. Uh, as I said, I approached it as a straight crime comic, and uh, I don't know where those fly were those flying cars, Franks. <laughs> well, he was flying it. <laughs> yeah, he, basically, there's a van or something. It's a van that turns into yeah, like some sort of like plane. Yeah, the battle van. Yeah, uh, I'd have to go back and look because it's it was like that was like. 35 years ago yeah, I appreciate uh, and you know i haven't looked at those books in a long time and i'd have to reread them to try and figure out what i was thinking about and then i read them and i say oh yeah yeah i remember all that but right now i don't yeah it was always my intention to uh keep frank grounded in reality oh, that's that's fair enough now, now i mean you speaking of reality um in in the trade there's a note at the end of the the story where you basically come out and apologize for the bizarre create, uh, creature who uh, the reverend thinks is Satan. Uh, were, were you copping a lot of a lot of heat for sort of having, again, that, or maybe you don't even remember <laughs> uh, if you haven't read it in a while, but uh, uh, was there a bit of pushback on having a character that was supposedly Satan in the book? Oh, man. <laughs> I'd have to go take a look. I don't remember that at all. Uh, but if I did put that character in, uh, he was lying. He's not really Satan. Yeah, yeah. You say that in the you say that in the note actually, Mike. That I think you said, "Our oh, readers, I wish you could have realised it's some guy from the Savage Land." Um, and um, but he looks a bit like a sort of satanic character, and he's a bit mysterious. I mean, I thought it was a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, it's just it's just a it's 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 kind of almost a bit lighthearted. I don't know how people could take it so seriously. Um, now, Mike, uh, I do want to mention that you did a great thing in Punisher at one time. Frank was, I think Tex is on art duties, and Frank is kind of monologuing about the economy, and he's actually smoking money. He's, he's like, burning money. It's so funny. Like... And, and I'm sure I said something to the effect that every time you burn a dollar bill, you increase the value of the currency, <laughs> as opposed to printing money where you devalue that's, the currency. That's true. That's exactly what you said, I think, Mike, in the, in the issue. And I just thought it was hilarious. And Frank's just there, just kicking back with a cigar and smoking money. Now, um, I've got a question uh, about this. Now, I always felt 
that Frank, his worldview is so bleak and so dark that any women he sleeps with uh, are sort of just basically trying to fill the void inside, left inside of him after the death of his wife and kids. Um, but it's worth noting that your Frank Castle did have a bit of a sense of humour. What was your take take on Frank and the women? Like you, you had Frank. You know, he would he would kind of occasionally sleep with a woman on the road. Did you have a kind of view of it? Well, he would take comfort where he could get it, but Frank realized that he could never settle down with one woman because he was haunted. Yeah. By this mission in his life, and, and he couldn't live with himself if if he hooked up with someone and something happened to her. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess like you know Maria, his wife originally. It was the ultimate tragedy. It kind of killed that bit inside of him, which wants to settle down. Which is, would you agree? Like, it killed that yes. instinct. Yeah, it's pretty deep. I mean, uh, it reminds me of something, Mike, and it's kind of serious. Back in the nineties, we had in um, where I lived, there was a really bad shooting, and like this guy killed like a lot of people, like a lot of people, like twenty, thirty people, including a guy's um, wife and kids. And I remember being in a club in the 90s, and someone said, oh, such and such, whatever his name was, was in the actual club. And I thought it was so sad that all these people were, like, looking at him, and he was there in a set of chairs, and everyone had known that only a year or so before he'd lost his wife and children and everything, and, like, there was this sense of separation. And it's played in my mind ever since. Like, obviously the the tragedy happened, but then it follows them. You know what I mean? And so him just appearing somewhere trying to get away have a bit of a good time, even still then there's this sense of separation from the rest of society because of what's happened to him. Like, how does a person ever get over that is kind of what I used to think, you know? Yes. You know, it's pretty deep. Now, um, anyway, so we had uh, Chuck Dixon on recently, and we're always hungry for stories about former Punisher editor Don Daly. Um, what do you remember about working with Don, and do you have any funny stories of working with Don? Well, Don was a great guy to visit, but he was a gimmick guy. Yeah. Uh, and when he came in, that's when we started to see X-Men. Uh, and I, some of his gimmicks, like he'd have photograph. One one cover was a photograph of a wedding cake uh, with the bride and groom. I think they were bleeding on top of the cake. And then another one was the brown paper wrapper cover, which I thought was cool, except that they printed Frank's likeness on the brown paper, so it kind of did away with with uh, the intent, but nobody's going to buy a brown, a plain brown paper wrapper cover. Uh, and he also commissioned a lot of covers uh, from Michael Golden. Mm-hmm. And he'd say, well, here are these covers, write stories about them. And that was fine with me. You know, I'm always happy to work with Mike Golden. I loved his covers. Mm. I wished uh, I could do some continuity with him. Yeah, I mean, he had a fantastic, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, on the NAM. He was on the NAM for a, for, for, for a beautiful artist, actually. I'll tell you one thing about Don Daly is I visited him in New York once and he mm. took me to see Les Paul, the great guitarist. Mm. Uh, and I, I met Les Paul and he had a grip like a stevedore. And I, I'll, I'll never forget that because uh, once they're gone, they're gone. And Les Paul's one of the greatest guitarists who ever lived. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you've heard of Les Paul guitars. Oh, I have. I have. I yeah. have heard of that. I didn't realize that was even a real person. Like, yes, I mean, hey, at least Don uh, hooked you up with Les Paul and you got got a chance to meet him, you know. Yeah. Um, have you met any? I know you're big into music, Mike. Have you met any sort of many of your kind of musical kind of you know, uh, for want of a better word, heroes and stuff like that along the way? You know, many, many. Yeah. Well, probably the greatest I ever met was Duke Ellington. Wow, really? That yeah. is that's pretty cool. Did you ever meet? I wish Sin- I had. I wish I'd taken a photo. Yeah, man. I mean, that's a that's a legend. What about Sinatra? Ever ever cross paths? No, I never saw Sinatra, but I do consider him the greatest popular singer of all time. I'm in complete agreement with you, Mike, on that on that note. And um, do you like uh, Dean Martin as well? I love Dean Martin. I do like Dean Martin. Yeah. I don't Me- put him in Sinatra's class, no. but, but I like Dean Martin. I like his movies too. Me too. He's got a, he's a wonderfully warm presence, you know, Dean. Always a friendly, warm presence. It comes across in his voice and in his performances, you know, on in, in movies. Yeah, in fact, Jeff Slemons... Uh, I did a painting of the Rat Pack, mm. which I'm going to send to you right now. Awesome. Uh, on your uh, Facebook feed. Sure. Great. I don't. I don't know if you, you probably can. You may put it up someplace later, but yeah. But well, anyhow, I, I, it just gives you an idea of how great Jeff Slemons is. Yeah, man. I'll, I'll I'll check that out, and I'll and I will put it up for the for the for the followers. I mean, yeah. I mean, I absolutely love. 
the Rat Pack. I think every single member of the Rat Pack, especially Frank, Dean, and Sammy, uh, can just hold their own in any era. You know, I think they were just yeah. so talented. Um, there now, it is. It's on your Facebook page. Can you see it? Yeah, I'm just having a look at it right now, Mike. Oh, that is a great picture. Yeah, that is fantastic. Yeah. It's got all of them. Got Joey Bishop there. Even got Peter Lovett. And and I, I like the money, Mike. It's just flowing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's Jeff, and he's he's the guy that inked Thin Blue Line. Oh, really? Okay. Wow. Yeah. So that's okay, awesome. I will put that on the. I'll put on that on main page, and see what we're doing for all the listeners. No problems at all. Now, Rich, you've got a, you've got a basically a question for Mike here. Yes, Mike. This is a this is a, a question I like to to ask everyone because um, you know, everyone's got a different story. But uh, as you know, an artistic person, you know, uh, what what was it that lit that that um, that bug in you, that fire in you, that sort of put you on the path? Like as a kid, what were you reading or watching that 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 made you kind of go, "This is what I want to do," or, or "This is the path I want to follow." And then once you were in that the job what was the who were the people around you the stuff you were reading that was sort of keeping that fire going or inspiring you to keep sort of pushing and elevating your own craft john d mcdonald uh, i remember going into a cigar store in mitchell south dakota where i grew up and and buying a travis mcgee novel i think it was the first one the deep blue goodbye it cost 35 cents and i went out and i was holding it in my hands on the sidewalk looking at this book and I just had this epiphany that, well, he wasn't writing these for his health. This is what he did for a living. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to do. And that's that's how it started. And I would say that that uh, uh, the three greatest influences on my writing are John D. McDonald, Carl Barks, and Philip Jose Farmer. But I've had a lot of help along the way. Mm. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, the, the Carl Banks, he was the guy who did Scrooge McDuck and all that stuff, wasn't That's it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's I, right. We've mentioned this before. I love Scrooge McDuck. He's one of my favorites. And I also love the nephews, you know, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Yep. Yeah, they're just gold. I mean, that, that basically takes it back to when, uh, you know, Disney were just, it was just all out fun back in those days. Um, Carl Barks was a master storyteller, and anybody who wants to learn how to do comics should study his books. Yeah, okay. Um, Now, I've been uh, reading some Badger in the lead-up to this interview. I love Badger, uh, Mike. I just can't get enough of Badger. Now, he seems like a very fluid character. He's funny, and yet it's heartbreakingly serious at, at times as well. Was this a very personal character to write, Mike? Had you seen friends or family impacted by Vietnam or mental illnesses when you when you were coming to write Badger? Well, no, but I was reading a book called The Minds of Billy Milligan, which was one of the first serious studies of multiples. It was written by Daniel Keyes, who wrote uh, Flowers for Algernon, which is a classic science fiction novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, it came about because uh, when we had Nexus going in Capitol, uh, I wanted to hit them up with a second title, and I found Jeff Butler, and I said, Jeff, what do you want to draw? He said, I want to draw Druids. So I wrote this 10-page story that he illustrated, and we took it in, showed it to the boys, and Mill said, nah, we don't want any Druids. Give us a costume crime fighter. And the first thing I thought was, well, why would anybody put on a costume and fight crime? Mm. They'd have to be crazy. <laughs> and so I told Jeff, Jeff, I said, they want a costume crime fighter. He says, well, I didn't waste my time drawing those pages for nothing. I want those in the book. I said, fine. We'll start with Ham, and then we'll segue to the modern age where he meets the Badger in a mental hospital. And that's how Ham and Badger got together. I love it, though, because it, it is a hell of a lot of fun. Like it's, I mean, I've not read all of Badger, but what I've read, I, I, I think it's a really good uh, sort of like it, it's a sort of a satire at times like it's a comedy but there's also a lot of serious elements like you, you mix it around a lot basically yep. you know and um and was this a character that you I mean you must have stayed pretty loyal to this character because it, it's clocked up a fair run of issues is it something that you want to dust off again um you know when the oh, time absolutely is yeah. absolutely in fact I'm working on a script now but I don't own the badger oh really Can- Ken Levin owns the Badger. Ken Levin is head of First Publishing. Now, Ken's been very generous uh, in uh, paying me to do Badger series in the past, some of which have never been released. 
Really? Uh, hmm. But at this point, I, I don't think he has the money to do it, but he has said that if I come up with a, uh, a good concept, uh, that I would be free to crowdfund it and do the book that way. And so I'm going to do that, but it's a little ways down the road because I'm yes. working on so much else now. Oh, God, yeah, you, you're so busy. But, Mike, if, if you do get to that point, please let us know because we will really promote that for you because I, I mention Badger on the show every now and then because for me he's a character that for some reason, I don't know why, he just speaks to me. I find, I find it a hilarious well, thank comic. you. Yeah. You know about the novel, right? Have you got a novel out of Badger? Let's see. Are you looking at me on on uh, Skype? Can you see yeah, me? I can, yeah, I can see you, Mike. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I didn't realize there was a Badger uh, novel uh, out. Yeah, I can see it, man. Okay. So is, is that out on sale right now? Uh, yeah, but only for me. I'm the only person you can get it from. So, okay. you know, give me an email later. I, I also did a Nexus novel, which my wife Ann ran, and that was a very successful campaign. Uh, and now that's being published by Wordfire Press. Uh, which is a prestigious small publisher, and that's coming yeah. out later this month, I think. Well, oh, we've got we've got a lot of Nexus fans, uh, including Richard, I know, um, who love Nexus. Now, uh, Rich, you've got a question about Badger as well. Oh, I was just curious, like uh, with the Badger. Um, obviously, you talk about how it's sort of you created the character, but as you were going with the character, did you find that you were like um, having a bit of fun? Or using a bit of those sort of like martial arts tropes from you know stuff like Shang Chi, Iron Fist, you know Richard Dragon. Were you were you kind of just like looking at that sort of stuff and just having a bit of fun with those tropes? Well, I not so much fun. This was you know I always loved Master of Kung Fu. I love the art, but I didn't kid myself that there were any real martial arts being depicted in that, and it kind of disgusted me. And that's one of the reasons I created Badger. To show martial arts in a realistic and dynamic manner, just not a fist waving around or a foot filling the frame, but to show the technique uh, evolve in real time, step by step, so that the reader can appreciate what's going on, like a really good kung fu movie. Mm. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, and, uh, you know what, I'll be happy to, uh, uh, to give you an example right here again in, uh, on Facebook. Yeah. In the pages, because uh, there's a, a segment here from Badger, which I think perfectly illustrates what I'm talking about. If I can find it. <laughs> Where is it? There it is. Badger Takedown. Awesome. I'm looking at it right now, and I will definitely be sharing this on the Facebook feed um, on the Signal of Doom page. Yeah, I can see it here. It's Yeah, it's, it's like watching a real sort of... Um, Whatever you want to call it, uh, karate or whatever it is, but yeah, it looks like a re it looks like it could really happen. Basically, is what you're saying, Mike, isn't it? As right. opposed to just fantasy. Because uh, so, so, yeah. so instead of sort of having fun with it, you were actually trying to like fix those tropes. You were like, because I, I believe you you do have a background in martial arts. So I guess what you were trying to do is say, I'm going to fix the the martial arts sort of comic. I wanted to show real martial arts in the comics in, a, in an entertaining and dynamic manner. It's a funny thing is we posted this last year on some page and and some guy says, oh, you can't. That's ridiculous. And then another guy came in and said, I know a guy who did that to me all the time. Yeah. In <laughs> yeah. fact, I had an instructor who did it to me. Yeah, I mean, God, yeah. I mean, it's so funny some of these keyboard warriors out there, Mike, who, oh, think, yeah. they, 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 who think they know it all from the comfort of their, you know, basements. They've got all the answers, and we're just the fools floating around, according to them. But uh, no, you, you definitely know what you're talking about. You must have had to have given, because obviously it's a comic, so you've got someone else drawing it. So you would have been quite detailed, was it, Mike? Like the the art instructions, like That's, how did you do Steve it? Butler did that. Uh, I would draw each sequence out, each right. sequence out by hand, and occasionally I would use tutorials from Inside Kung Fu or Black Belt Magazine, uh, where they would have a a, a guest show the technique uh, photo after photo after photo so you can right. see exactly how it unfolds. And we would draw uh, the martial arts sequences directly from those photos. That's clever, man. That's actually really right. clever because that could really work. Now, Rich, uh, Rich is the big Nexus guy on this podcast. Um, Rich, you've got a couple of Nexus questions? Uh, yeah, just I don't even know how to like get them all out. So, um I absolutely love Nexus. And when I was reading it when I was uh, much younger, I don't know. I couldn't figure out why it resonated with me so much. I just like, I loved the whole thing. And it was only sort of as I got older that I realized that there's just so much um, 
pop culture basically like in that series like um i always got a sort of got like a, a jack a jack kirby vibe you know they, I, I always feel like there's the hanna barbera i mean i think there's even like dr seuss kind of yeah, references yeah. and images all and all that Lee. like yeah and i just what what sort of fun were you guys having with that i just feel like you were just taking everything out there that was awesome and just putting it in this book well, uh, my first intent is my first rule as writers, it's my job to entertain. So I try to put us together a compelling story that sucks you in. I always try to do that. Mm. Uh, and, and do we illustrate it as he saw fit. He'd make the bad guys bad, but he'd always fill the backgrounds with these crazy characters uh, that were so appealing. And a lot of them were inspired by Dr. Seuss. Uh, and uh, I'd bring him forward and give him some lines. And, and that's how the cast grew. Because uh, a lot of those characters inspired by dudes drawing, uh, most notably Tyrone, the one-legged leader of, of uh, Islam, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a couple of others. I mean, he's got the clam people in there. They're they're just peripheral, but they're they're uh, uh, humor. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, Dave is Dave. Uh, the character Dave is like literally definitely out of Doctor Seuss and and the planet like Thune and all that sort of stuff like. Whenever I read that, I was just like, Jesus, like Dr. Seuss got taken over by fascists. <laughs> right. Which was kind That's of fun. right. But uh, so, I mean, that, so you guys really collaborate on that. And I've got to say, uh, Rude is so underappreciated. I know he's won awards and all that, but my God, I think that man deserves far more work than what he actually gets. Oh, believe me, he's got all the work he can handle. He does commission after commission. He's, he's way behind on his commissions because people love his art. Well, that's cool. I know, but I just I want to see him in books, man. I just I want to I want to read stories with his art. Like uh, you, I, I mean, if you guys could do Nexus from now till like forever, I would be so happy. <laughs> well, you know, he's got a big book coming out called uh, "The Coming of Gormando," uh, oh. which has my name on it. But actually, I didn't write anything in it. It's all his, uh, and you can see it on Amazon right now. Is that a Nexus huh? thing, uh, Mike? It is Nexus, yes, right, and he's okay. planning an enormous Thune World book. Wow. I was down at his house three weeks ago signing books, uh, and he showed me the art from Thune World, and it's just awesome. It's just some of his best work. That's fantastic. Is there any is there any reason, like, sort of that the two of you are not working on Nexus anymore together? Because, I mean, you guys worked on that for, like, forever, for, like, for such a long time. Have you seen the documentary Rude Dude? I haven't yet. I know I have seen it. I've seen the trailer for it, but I have not actually had a chance to watch it. Well, that answers a great many questions. Uh, and we agreed to go our separate ways, although we remain friends. And I have a wealth of Nexus material coming out. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Kelsey Shannon illustrated an issue of Nexus. Uh, and yes. uh, it's out. It's out. Right now, uh, you can only get it from uh, uh, Richard Meyer, his Splato Comics. Uh, but there are three issues in it. It's called Triplets, about three children who have perfect telepathic uh, abilities. Uh, and Dark Horse is going to gather them together and publish it as a graphic novel when it's finished. But that's probably a couple of years down the road. And I also have three Nexus projects in the works at Dark Horse. And uh, we're about to send Monster Hunt 2, Let's Get Crack, into the printer. That's a team-up between Nexus, Mike Miller's Lone Star, and Doug Tanopel's Bigfoot Bill. Fantastic. Oh, wow. the, art, the art on that is stunning. Let me show you a little bit of it. Who's doing the art for that? Matthew Weldon. Okay. Wow. You are a busy guy, Mike. I'm amazed by how much product you've got coming out. And I it's, am it's, too. It's, it's, it's great I, to I, hear, though. You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> I really need to spend more time. This is Mike Miller's cover for uh, Let's Get Cracking. You see that? Uh, hold on, I'll um, just uh, open up my Facebook. Sorry, I was distracted. Yes, I can say it, and I, again, I will share this on the on the feed. That is uh, that is fantastic. Uh, that yeah, that looks like, and I can see Nexus there. Wow, that looks that's a beautiful piece of artwork. Um, fantastic, Mike. So, the, is this coming out? Uh, did you say coming out uh, via Dark Horse? Is that correct? I no, this is uh, an independently funded uh, Indiegogo campaign oh, that right. we launched, okay. uh, and uh, we're about to send it to the printer, and we hope to ship by the end of November. Fantastic! Oh well, okay, I will. I will put that up for um, for you as well. I, I love all this stuff. Now, uh, Rich, you've got another question 
Oh, uh, which which I think Mike's already answered. Um, so yes, yeah, yeah, no, that's fantastic. So, um, Mike, I wanted to mention we, one of the sort of um spin-offs or, or little subsets of Signal of Doom. We have it. We have a show called Flashbacks, and we did your flash run, um, recently and loved it actually. Now, when you wrote Flash, which was uh, I understand, I understand, Mike. It's a long time ago, and it was right after Cross and Infinite Earths. Um. How did you get the job to write The Flash? And you kind of made Wally West kind of, it was amusing, kind of a conceited jerk. Was that all part of the, your pitch on the character to kind of move him in that direction? I didn't have to pitch the character. Mike Gould was the editor and he asked me to take over the title. Right. Uh, and I was given carte blanche. In fact, I can't think of a single time working for Marvel or uh, DC where I had any heavy editorial interference until Don Daly came along and he wanted to do gimmicks, but you know, that, that, that was fine. But uh, when I thought about flash and his powers, the first idea that came to me was that he expended an enormous amount of energy. And in order to do that, he had to eat like a horse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's very true. (laughs) That is true. Now, I mean, I love your flash, flash run, but I always, when we read it, I was like, well, you left Flash as it was getting really hot. Was it a creative difference that you left, or was it just a case of the grass was green? No, not at all. No. You know, I just, one day I said, well, what, what am I going to do next with Flash? And I, I didn't know. I yeah. did not. And that wouldn't happen today. And I said, Mike, I got to quit the book. I don't know what to do with the character anymore. Right. Uh, you just hit a wall. And, uh, in a way, I'm sorry I did. But uh, on the other hand, I'm right where I should be at this moment. Well, exactly. And, I mean, look, obviously you were very busy because was it, was it the same time you were starting off your Punisher? Was it, were they roughly the same, like, time period? I think they were congruent at some period. Of course, I was on the Punisher much longer than yes. I was on the Flash. Yeah, I've always felt like, as a writer myself, a character like Flash, uh, you, I can see a writer running out of storylines. Like, at least easily. You know, if you've got to be punching it out monthly, you know, I, I, could, I, could, I could see that that's, that's a challenging title because he runs fast. And then it's like, well, what do I do with running fast? How many running fast stories have I got in me kind of thing, you know? And, um, yeah. yeah, no, it's interesting. So but that's good to hear. Now, uh, Rich, you've got a what-if question. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I've always been uh, uh, curious. So um, Marvel, you know, started that sort of what-if um, uh, books uh, years ago, and I'm just curious. Like um, you did one, which was, I believe, um, what if Daredevil was the disciple of Doctor Strange? And I'm curious how how does Marvel or the writers or you approach that? Are you given a type? Like, are you given a what if scenario, and you've got to come up with a story, or uh, you know? And then, like, how how do you do you just go balls to the wall and have fun and come up with the most ridiculous plot? For that, what if? Like, you know, I just, people, people keep process? telling me I did that comic, but I don't remember it at all. <laughs> I wish somebody would would send me a copy, or maybe I could find a copy, and that would stoke my memory. I can send you a copy, uh, Mike. I can send you a copy. Oh, then... don't send me one from <laughs> Australia. You don't have to. Uh... <laughs> now, Rich is a big, big Star Wars guy, and um, Mike, you did um, some great Star Wars stuff. Now, I will. I normally would handle the Star Wars questions, but I'm going to hand this to Rich because he is the expert. So, Rich, fire away. Well, I, I was a Star Wars fan, not, not so much these days. But um, I, I'm just curious, like, um, so you did the, the, the comic book adaptation of the, the Thrawn trilogy. Yes. Uh, which obviously is one of, like, the fan favorite Star Wars novels, you know, out there. Um, first of all, like, how, how did you get the job? Like, did that? Did the, uh, they they approached you to do the adaptation, and then um, did you have any contact with uh, Timothy Timothy Zahn when not doing until, it? Was it a... not until later? Not until after I finished it, and then uh, I ran into Timothy at a at a convention, and and we talked, and and uh, uh, he gave me an endorsement for something which I appreciate. And I see Timothy has a brand new uh, Star Wars book coming out. Uh, and it's probably going to ship uh, next week, and I'm very excited about that. It was a dream job. Uh, I really, uh, you know, they said that they wanted six issues from each book. I mm. took the book and I divided it roughly into six sections so that the breaks weren't natural breaks where the chapters were, and then mm-hmm. I, I adapted them. Uh, and I think I I was drawing those out by hand at the time. Uh, but I prided myself on not using any of my own language. Every word in there is from Timothy's arm. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty much like yeah, the novel come to life. It's a it's a fantastic adaptation of it. But you also worked on uh, Rogue Squadron, uh, which would yes. be sort of your your own pro, you know your own storyline uh, with uh, with you know Wedge and all that. Like, how fun is that? Like, um, is, is there much restriction, um, you know, in that star working in Star Wars universe? Like, um, no. is there much editorial? A no. lot more freedom. Uh, no, I had a great deal of freedom there. They weren't riding herd on us real hard. Okay, and so what it, it, did they just after you did those books? That was that was it. You moved on to other things. Well, I'd have to take a look at the dates on those books because you know there was a period of about ten years though there, where I couldn't get any work. I couldn't get. Uh, uh, you know, no no comic book work, and I had not yet learned how to write a novel, and I was just taking any job I could. I took a job as a janitor at one place, and and uh, then when we moved out to Colorado, I, I took a job unloading automobile bumpers and packing mouse pads and any, any work I could get because uh, I wasn't getting any work writing, uh, and I had uh, a sick wife. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. But uh, that's all behind me. Yes, yes. Uh, and I'm in a much better place now. And in fact, I'm busier than I've ever been. Well, thank God for that, Mike. And and I can't, I mean, just, just for the record, I can't believe that the comic book industry wasn't giving you work during that period. But I'm so glad that now things have flipped and changed and you're obviously in a much better place. And, and the work's coming and it's flowing. And as we can see that from... Thin blue line. Um, well, that's work now. that I created for myself. A lot of this work that's happening are projects that I created yeah. and that either my wife, Anne, mm. uh, ran the Kickstarter, as she did with the Badger novel and the Nexus novel, or my friend Chris Brawley, as he ran the Florida Man graphic novel, wow. and now he's running Thin Blue Line, and we have a couple more projects in the works. I'm also doing a comic called 2084, which is about a, a future dystopian nightmare. Cool. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> it's actually about everything that's happening right now right. Uh, with one uh, big difference, which is that there are powerful telepaths and telekinetics in the future, most of whom work for the big corporations that run everything. Right. But there's a bunch of rebels who, uh, who refuse to submit. They will not bow down. And uh, the government demands that everybody be chipped. Uh, if you're not chipped, you're going to go to prison. The yeah. chip is so that they can track your every movement and control you utterly. And we see these trends right now in our yeah. present governments. I was going to say, Mike, I don't think that that is that impossible to imagine actually happening in reality at no. some point. And you might find that somewhere like China might uh, bring that in before we know it, you know? That's like, right. They, and uh, our yeah. government here seems to think that the Chinese communist pattern is one they want to emulate. It's absolutely frightening. Mm. Uh, I don't know what's ha what's going to happen, but I do tell you that, that unlike other countries, we have the First Amendment and the Second Amendment, so it's much harder for them to crush yeah. the people beneath their hobnailed boot, which is what they're trying to do. I totally agree with you, Mike. And, and, and frankly, I think a lot of people in power took 1984 as an instruction manual, you know, rather than a warning, you know? Well, it's not that. It's just human nature. And, we'll, yeah. and what's mm. happened is these people have uh, shoehorned themselves into power. I always say this, but most normal people have their hands full doing their job, yeah. mm. taking care of their family, and yep. kicking back on the weekends and watching their favorite football team. But there's a certain class of person that spends every waking minute mm. scheming how to get power over others. And those are the people that have seized control of our government, and they haven't done it fair or legally. No. It's crazy, man. So, like, it's crazy. Mike, I just, I got a quick question. I just want to come back to something you said there, creating your own work. How, how fantastic is it in this day and age now where you're not really reliant on, on getting a job from the big two? Where, like, oh, you look at Indiegogo, there's just so many good independent creators who are able to launch and create their own worlds and books. Do you, do you find that utterly just freeing and wonderful that you get to choose and make your own stuff? Um, well, yeah, uh, to a certain degree. I mean, I think that, that the big two are circling the drain. I mean, they've done it to themselves. Nobody wants those books. They forgot the first rule of comics, which is it's 
people read them for entertainment. They yeah. want to escape. They want a good story. They want to root for the good guy and hiss at the bad guy. They don't want to be lectured mm. on their shortcomings. But yeah, I don't know why the I don't know why the companies have employed these people who do this. Uh, but it can't last. It's unsustainable. Can you can you, uh, can you, can you hear me, guys? Yeah. yeah okay. Good. Sorry, I had a I've got a bit of a microphone problem here. Yeah, no, I agree, Mike. I mean, the thing is, like, back if I flash back to the mid-'80s when I picked up your first Punisher comic, I, I was a kid. I read it for the adventure. I read it for the action. I couldn't have cared less how the writer voted, uh, what he did in his personal life. I didn't even barely know there was a writer. You know what I mean? I just read it. I picked it up. Yeah. I read it, and I responded to it. And, and, and really, that's what they need to focus on. Now, I do want to mention, Mike... Um, well, I was doing a bit of research for this show. I came across that you did a Batman Legends of the Night two-parter with Bill Reinhold. Um, yes. A great little story about Batman and Gotham City. You actually created a somewhat sympathetic villain in a gimp mask that beats Batman in a fight for sure once and goes very close on a second time. Did you get any reader pushback on that? Because this guy actually beats Batman in a fight and then almost does again before Bruce kind of gets him over the ledge. Uh, do you remember writing that one, Mike? Because I thought it was a great I little do, two-parter. I do. I'd l I wish I had copies of that. Uh, I didn't get any reader pushback, but I got editorial pushback. But it came out anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hell of a lot of fun, Mike. And I, and I didn't know... I, I own it digitally, and I, and I actually have all the Legends of the Dark Knight digitally. And I, and I just... You know, I went, well, Mike Barron did that. I, I, two, two issues. And, and you know what? You showed a really good... Was was Batman a character that like was big for you, kind of growing up? Did you were you one of those writers who's like I've always got a Batman story in me, or was this more of a professional? The gig came up and you just you just did a story. Oh no, I always have a Batman story in me. Yeah, yeah, no, I I can see that, and I could see just reading that, I could see that you 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 seem to have a real love of Gotham, and you you got it, and it's a shame that you haven't had like more of a run. Like there's so many Batman titles, you know. I know, but I really. Rather do my own characters. True. No, I hear that, man. I hear that. And Rich, you've kind of got a linked question. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, Mike, I'm hoping you can you can answer this question. It's a bit of a process question. Um, I've always been fascinated. You know, there's you, you get writers that sort of get a bit of a long run. You know, uh, a year or two years or three years on a title, but then so many writers just get sort of a one one off or a two issue or you know maybe a three issue sort of run. What is that like as a writer? Do they, I mean, do they basically just come to you and say, "Listen, we need, you know, we need you to do one issue"? And and how do you actually go about coming up with a story for one issue? You have got to do a lot of research on what's come before just to 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 pump out that one story. It depends on the story you want to write, uh, but uh, I believe in single issue stories. And you know, many of those badgers and nexuses were single issue stories. Uh, yes. And in many ways, I prefer them to these unending serials, yeah. although uh, I'm working on a, a number of projects today which are limited serials. For instance, I recently took over the Saints for Allegiance Arts. Uh, the Saints are a secret group of archaeologists who uh, are trying to preserve the world's great archaeological sites and protect them from vandals and zealots, uh, like the way ISIS destroyed those uh, 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 I think they were Buddhist shrines in Afghanistan. Yeah, uh, yeah. they blew them up. It was a couple of years. No, it was more than a couple of years ago. It was at least ten years ago. Mm. Uh, and uh, I'm excited about that. There's, it's, there are a few uh, science fiction elements, but it's very realistic, and there are no superheroes in it. And where's that coming out, Mike? Uh, where does that one? Come? Uh, Allegiance Arts. I think they're uh, going to ship the graphic novel, which was crowdfunded before the end of the year. And that incorporates the first two issues. And I took over the first issue uh, beginning on page 11. Okay. Uh, All right. And, well, yeah, and, okay. Well, uh, then I've, and, and it's a six issue series. And I just, I recently turned in the six issue. I'd love to get my hands on that. That sounds fascinating, man. It really sounds like you've got some really good material that, that, that it really is a bit of a golden age for you, Mike. And thank God. And it does show you that you're doing a lot of this. It's all outside of the big two, and it sounds a hell of a lot more interesting than a lot of the, what the big two are putting out. Because let me tell you, they had Superman the other day at a rally carrying a sign, Mike. That's that's how boring Superman's got. I, I, I saw it. I saw it. <laughs> yes. Everybody saw it. Everybody saw it, and everybody yawned. 
Um, I know. Yeah. Uh, now, Rich, uh, you, Rich is a bit of a valiant guy. You got a couple of valiant questions, Rich? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm curious. Uh, you did a bit of work at, at Valiant, uh, worked on a few titles. Did, did uh, Shooter approach you himself, or was it someone else? No, it was Bob Layton. Yeah. Oh, okay, fantastic. And which was your favourite uh, uh, Valiant character to work on, uh, if uh, if you can recall? Because, uh, you, again, you worked on a, a few. Uh, I think your I, longest you know, run was Archer and Armstrong. Yeah, and I did a Ninjack, uh, yes. which I enjoyed. But I think the that uh, Shadow Man was my favorite, and that's the one I would like to work on mm. again if I had the opportunity. Mm. And they're still doing Valiant Comics. I know they relaunched and all sorts of things, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, they've, they've been very popular. Now, Mike, we're getting towards the end, but I've got some listener questions. Now, Michael Kellishim is a great friend of the show and always has a lot of good questions for our guests. And his first one is, uh, Mike, at First Comics, you and Mike Mignola of Hellboy fame, adapted Michael Moorcock's Corum series into graphic novels. Are you a fan of Moorcock's work, and what kind of process did it take to adapt the novels into comic books? Well, again, as with Timothy Zahn, they were uh, easy to adapt because mm. uh, Moorcock was a very visual writer. He's a very fine writer, too, mm. uh, and, and uh, I loved discovering him because I had not read him before they asked me to do that. And I did the same thing with that that I did with Timothy Zahn. I divided each book up into, uh, in this case, five issues, uh, and I I used all of Moorcock's own language. Yeah. Uh, and you know, if I had more time, I'd read more Moorcock. But it just seems that that every se- I'm busy every second of the day, and I have like. 55 books I'm trying yeah. to read at once. <laughs> you know, I, I, I hear you, man. Now, as a teenager, I read a lot of Michael Moorcock, Mike, and I always thought he pushed the fantasy form forward in, in, in radical and inter- interesting ways. Um, did you ever read Dances at the End of Time or his Jerry Cornelius novels? Uh, I don't think I did. Yeah, well, I would definitely, if you ever have a spare second, uh, either of those two, two series, are fa- he's a fantastic writer, Mike, he, he, he did some really amazing stuff. Um, now, the second question, Mike, and this makes absolutely no sense to me, so I'm just going to read it out, and if you if you know the answer to this, well, good luck to you. Uh, Mike, you also adapted the greatest anime of all time into comic books, Robotech. Are you a fan of the series, and if you were Rick Hunter, who would you choose, Lisa or Minmi? <laughs> you know, uh, again, that was that was a long time ago, but sure. I remember watching the series devotedly. I watched every episode, and I adapted those, except for the Robotech graphic novel, which I made up out of the whole cloth. And those have just been reissued, by the way. Okay. Uh, I, I can't. The publisher is in in England. I wish I. I just. I have the books in my basement. I. I'd tell you who it was, but th- but they're fresh out, and I enjoyed working on them very much. Uh, but it's it's not the kind of thing that that I would choose because, as I said, I would rather work on my own creations anytime. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, yeah, hundred percent. And I said, and I mean, if I look at your career, Mike, I mean, back in the you, you were one of the guys in the early '80s coming out with stuff that, even though it technically might not be called creator-owned stuff like Badger and Nexus. I mean, that is your own stuff. You know, that's right. That's you created that, like literally. You know, sitting down um, with an artist and all that kind of stuff. Now, uh, the final question, Mike, uh, from Michael Kellishim is: Being a second-degree black belt in karate, did you ever use your skills on an annoying editor? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've advanced quite a bit since then. I'm happy to say. Listen, I'm just a feeble old man trying to stay active, but I did train today. Good. Uh, and uh, they have seen fit to make me a, a fourth degree black belt for reasons I don't know. Congratulations, uh, Mike. Fuck yeah. Thank yes. you. Well and done I, anyway. I'm, I'm still training, you know, and I hope to learn it someday. Well, you know, it's it's kind of like me playing tennis. You never really want to quit playing. You're always looking to improve, even, you know, like you're always trying to get, you know, stay active. It's important, like fit. You've got no weight on you, Mike, looking at you on, on the pitches here. I mean, I wish, you know, you're... You're a lean, mean fighting machine. Now, um, being serious for a second, has karate given you a lot of discipline and order in your life, Mike? Has it helped you? Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. A great deal. So that's good. It, now, also, it also gets me out of the house, you know? Well, it's, sometimes your wife's like, time for karate, Mike. Time for karate. How'd <laughs> you go? <laughs> um, now, I've got a question, Mike. A final question to wrap this one up. 
I see you did uh, look at Wikipedia, a Bruce Lee comic in the 90s, which to me sounds fascinating. Was this a bio sort of comic of Bruce Lee or an action-adventure fictional comic? It was action-adventure, but uh, it did incorporate real elements from his life story. And I had the privilege of of working with Vale Meyerick on that. Vale and I are good friends to this day, and Vale is a very accomplished martial artist. Okay, and um, what did you think of the use in the last Tarantino movie of, of Bruce Lee and the controversy around it? Did you think there was much to that controversy? No, and I think that's his best film. Oh, well, that's a hot take. I mean, I didn't have a problem with it at all, but for me, uh, is it Enter the Dragon? That that always made a real impact on me as a kid, you know? Oh, you and me, everybody. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. Like... You do wonder if Bruce Lee hadn't tragically passed away. You know, his legacy would be... His legacy is enormous, but I just feel he'd be one of those guys who would be bigger than Ben-Hur if he'd managed to survive um, the 70s. Um, Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. You're always welcome on Signal of Doom. Now, is there anything you'd like to promote? Uh, We've we've got a laundry list of stuff, and I'm going to put up all the links in the show notes. Along well, thank with the you, sir. No problems, man. You're always welcome on Sydney. We love you, Mike. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, uh, you want to give the, the readers a 10 step pitch. Thin, thin Blue Line, Indiegogo, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, Mike has mentioned a ton of stuff in this in this interview that I strongly encourage you, after you back uh, the Indiegogo campaign, and you can get it posted to you, you can get the digital copy, you can do whatever. There's a ton of stretch goals. Mike knows a ton of people, and um, he uses contacts really well. Um, on that note, Mike, I want to say thank you and good night. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Rich. Uh, pleasure meeting you, Mike. Mike.